Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Eagle Community Church of Christ podcast. My name is John Gunter. I'm the preaching minister here. This week, we've got a special treat. We're beginning a study of Randy Frazee's The Story. The story is basically kind of uh, compressing the biblical narrative from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And what we're going to do as a church is we're going to study this all together. So the sermon, all our Bible classes, and our small groups are going to cover the same topics every week. This will allow us to kind of be a, a cohesive unit instead of having classes over all kinds of things. And so every adult can talk to every child, grandchild, about what they had in class. And so uh, our goal here is to just be together and to be in the Word deeply. We hope you'll join us. This week, we talk about creation and what that means to all of us. We'll see you soon. He's on the ball. He's got his finger on the pulse. Sometimes when people pick up the story, they look and they say, well, not all of Scripture is here. Oh, no, it's not. It's not trying to throw you off or anything like that, but it is trying to tell the story. If you want to dig deeper, you want to read it all, get your Bible and read it. But you know, we want to understand it, but this is what we're doing is we're trying to get everyone on the same page to see the entire story because we can't be, again, the New Testament church unless we understand the story of God that's been going on since the beginning, and that's where we start today. Genesis 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Again, we start to understand the players in the story. One of the hardest things getting into a new show or a new book or anything is understanding who the players are and what they're about. Am I going to like this guy? Am I not? Paul said it was funny, but I don't know if it's going to be funny. You know, we kind of drop into it. But what Genesis 1 starts doing is kind of telling us not only about the creation of the world, which we spend a lot of time talking about, especially with our kids in classes, but it also starts telling us about who God is and what he's about. God is a creator. He is creative. Anybody, anybody here see themselves not as creative? I, I'm, I've been that way for a long time. And then I started trying some things, and I thought, well, maybe I do have a little bit of creativity. I, I'm adopted, and so I met my biological family when I was about 27, I think. And what I found out was a lot of the men on my dad's side are artists. And that blew my mind because I thought, I have got no talent for that. And then uh, uh, I was talking to, uh, where's Laura at? Laura in here, she may be teaching class. Teaching class. I was talking to Laura one day, and, and just the, the idea that some people with the same blood running through them could paint or draw kind of gave me the idea, well, maybe I ought to try this. And all of a sudden, you, you practice a little bit, and all of a sudden, I can draw something you might be able to recognize. <laughs> you know, I thought, man, the best I can do is a stick figure, and that's not very good, right? It's like, well, you put mine and Evan's up close, you know, together, it might not tell whose is whose. But we have this creativity in us because we were created by a God who is a creator. He is creative, 
One of my favorite uh, uh, preachers, he talks about, uh, talking about Genesis, he says, you know God's creative, you know he's got a sense of humor because he's painted apes with colors on the rear ends. (laughs) Why did he create a giraffe with a a neck? How how long? I mean, God God is just trying stuff. He's like, oh, that'd be funny, right? Sometimes I think that when I look in the mirror, Heath, you know, you think, "Uh, that's not going well. He's like... God's got a sense of humor, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Heath talked about it. He said, yeah, every day it feels like, you know, less hair, and I nearly amen you, but I didn't want to. I should have just kept my mouth shut about that. But here in Genesis, God starts telling us about himself that he is a creative, that he, that he is a creator God, he is creative, and that he has the power to do so. That what God sets his mind to, he does. And every day, that God creates, he finishes the day and looks back on it, and what does he say? It is good. And he created something that was good. And even when he created humankind, he gets to the end of the day, and he said, it was very good. And here we are. What does that tell us about God? That tells us that God seeks relationship. That God was not satisfied, just kind of being alone, I know we, if, you, if you're reading this week, you saw the let us create them in our image. You're thinking, well, who's that? When I was at Lipscomb, we had a, uh, an actual uh, a Jewish guy who decided to go get an MDiv, a Master of Divinity, with, which I got, at Lipscomb because he wanted to understand, like, the Christian perspective. And he said, you guys keep saying there's one God, but it sure sounds like there's three because the we and the our and the us, right? Well, who is that? Well, if you uh, were in our adult class on Sunday mornings when we went through the Gospel of John, John tells you immediately, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so God expresses himself here in Genesis 1 by telling you that I am creative, I am powerful, I seek this relationship And he's already got this plan. He already has this this idea of what may come to pass. And so what we see in Genesis is both a a very good story and then one of kind of tragedy, right? Because what we see is a paradise created for people. Now, if I polled the audience this morning and I said, how many of you would sign up for paradise right now? You could have everything you wanted taken care of. Is there anybody not signing up for that? Like you might have, well, I hope paradise means, you know, I need to make sure there's a golf club involved, you know, whatever. But if paradise to you was an option right now, is there anybody not signing up for it? I've brought this up before and I've asked you, you know, how many of you would sign up to be taken care of and to not have any bills whatsoever? Yeah, I'll sign up for that right now. My kids, I'm watching them right in front of my eyes. You know, as you're a kid, you just want to get older and older and older. I want to get to that, that certain point where I can do that certain thing, right? And then those of us who have been through it understand we finally get it. We finally turn 18 or 21 or whatever. We get our independence. Then we go, ugh. Why am I having to pay all these things? And what's insurance? I still don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but we, we understand that, that paradise here given by God is something very special. 
But even in the midst of this, the two people there messed it up, didn't they? It only took two. You may look around the world like, man, it's messed up. Well, it only took two in this, in this moment. In uh, Genesis 3, it starts out like this. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? You hear that creeping in. I, you feel in that sentence, I feel in that sentence, the bad influence in your life. Did your parents really say, or could we do that but be back? or any other technicality, right? Did God really say you may not eat from any of these? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the, from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. So in this moment, Eve shows she completely understood what God said, right? There's no technicality here. She says, no, God did say that. But the serpent said, you will not certainly die. That seems wrong. You will certainly not die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, what's the problem with that statement? The problem is he's right. The problem is, is the serpent in this moment gives a truth that is correct, Right? Now, the, the punishment was not immediate death, and what they would know was the difference between good and evil. Right after this, when they're caught, found out, they realize they're naked. That was fun reading to the boys this week. <laughs> I think it was about this part where they, they sewed fig leaves together, and Evan said, that's not in there, is it? I'm all the time adding stuff, sorry. You know, I, I kind of add some stuff in there and just kind of make them laugh. But Evan thought, that, that can't be in there. And God says, who told you? Who told you that you were naked? So what the serpent was saying here was absolutely right, in a way. There was not going to be an immediate death, and they would start to understand, like God, the difference between good and evil and having more knowledge. And that's the problem with a lot of things that lead us astray is there's a little bit of truth in there. But even that truth can lead you down a road you don't need to go. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And we understand what ensued uh, after that. Uh, it, it kind of goes from here. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. Remember, God asked this question. Nobody had to tell them. They knew. I think God already knew too. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us. Catch that. Knowing good and evil, he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Now, this is a, a good point where you need to understand the entire story to understand this comment. So God looks at Adam and Eve and says, if they eat of this, they're going to live forever. Well, I thought God wanted us to live forever, and he does. 
But what's the issue right here? Adam and Eve have introduced sin into that perfect relationship that they had with God. And so God's God's, uh, problem with this is not that man and woman would live forever, but that in their current state, they would live forever with this sin that was now in, in their midst. And so this begins what is the rest of the story. This begins what is the entire rest of Scripture where God works on repairing that relationship right here. As we talked about the the temple and the tabernacle, you remember all of that that we went through, was it last year? That God's desire all along was to be with us, and that's what he shows us right here in creation. That God creates this perfect place for him to walk with Adam and Eve, for him to walk side by side, to be able to converse with them. And then when that got messed up, the whole rest of Scripture is God trying to get back that ideal, ending with the sending of his son to repair everything that had happened. That yes, you can live forever with God, but it comes because he sent his son to down the cross to pay for all of that sin that was in our life. And we look at that and we think, my goodness, how does that work? Because I've, I've even been a Christian. I've been a follower of Christ for a long time. For me, it was September 18th, 1994, after a third Sunday uh, singing in potluck. I waited until they sang Ring Out the Message because that was one of the last ones they sang. And I, I knew if I waited outside the door and I heard that song, they were about done. Because if you ever sang that song, you're out of air, you're done after that song. <laughs> Can't sing anymore. But even as I began that walk, and even though I'm this far removed from beginning that walk, I understand that there's still sin in my life at times, right? That I don't walk perfectly. That I exist and I, I mess up and even things that I know better and I've done before and I've prayed to God that I would not do it again and I do it again. And God, and what he shows us in Genesis, is a loving God that will do anything to repair that relationship. Most of the time, what I see is uh, when a person is kind of upset or thinks God can't forgive them, it's, it's always on them. It's our understanding, it's our thought that we've done too much, we've done so many things that God can't forgive us, and the whole picture of Scripture is God will do anything to get you back. God cannot call a man like David, a man after his own heart, without David being a person who repented. That is why David is a man after God's own heart. Even when he sinned, he had to be confronted, and sometimes David was a man, y'all. Y'all know that. He was hard-headed. But he repented. And that's what we see. God, right after this, what we see is, uh, uh, well, I'll just read this part before we get into Noah. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden uh, to work, work the ground from which uh, he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. And there in Genesis 6, we get into the story of Noah. And I don't know, we've talked about God's timing this morning with the uh, this, the selling of the building, but as I drove uh, up Lakes of Champions this morning, 
as I looked north, there was a rainbow. And I thought, my goodness, what a good timing. Because I'm about to talk about Noah. I took a picture of it. If y'all don't believe, y'all think I'm just a liar or whatever. I've got a picture. <laughs> but God, in the, in the time, so we, we moved on from Adam and Eve, and God, three chapters later in Genesis, looks around at the world. He says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. Again, beginning with Adam and Eve. Again, the reason that they couldn't exist eternally together was this sin had happened, and of course, this is where it spread. He said, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Well, that's not very rosy, is it? All the time, their hearts were turned to evil. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. That's strong. That also tells you exactly you know, what's going on in the mind, the heart of God. Uh, he said, uh, uh, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them, because this sin had become so great. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And what we see with the story of Noah is that God makes this covenant with them. So he creates this place for Adam and Eve. They mess it up. God looks at the, the world of Noah and said, this is terrible, but I still want to save it. That he regretted even making human beings. He said, I'm going to wipe all of this off the map. Kind of like you're angry at, uh, anybody play the game of risk? Yeah, that monopoly make you question a lot of things in your life. Sometimes you just want to swipe the, swipe the board off clean, let's start over. I'm tired of you doing me like that, right? I know some of you Some of you keep losing. I see you shaking your heads, yeah. And that's what God looked around and saw. But here in this moment, he said, well, Noah has my favor. And we know the story of Noah created this ark that God told him to build in the middle of this desert where it says God had not sent rain on the earth. So in this time of all, all that's happening, this man in a desert is building a boat. Would you have gotten on it with him? No, probably not. I wouldn't have either. But what God tries to do through Noah is to redeem the people. There in, verse, in chapter 9, God said to Noah and to his sons with him, after, after this is happened, he said, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And down here near Houston, Texas, we say amen. Uh, Evan, this morning, as we were driving out here and looking at all the water, he said, you know what? And he was talking about his, uh, our neighbor over there. His name's Milo. He said, me and Milo were talking, and we have a retention pond out between all the houses. And he said, you know what I'm hoping? I'm hoping they fill that in one day, and we can just play out there. And so I explained to him what retention ponds were for here. And so a story like this, where God promises that a flood is never going to wipe out the face of the earth again, we say amen. Even when you get 50-something inches of rain in Hurricane Harvey, right? 
God is still faithful. And the faithfulness of God is what we're going to see throughout Scripture. Again, what I mostly see is people writing themselves off and their, their relationship with God. It's never God saying, I'm done with you. Somehow we have this picture of God that, again, that he just wipes us off. He marks us out of the book of life, as we talked about in that series. But the whole picture of Scripture is simply God saying, I want a relationship with them because I created them, and I said it was good. And this morning, we're going to offer an invitation. If you haven't begun that relationship, I want you to start it right now, as Case just did. I mean, I get, that gets me excited. We don't have enough baptisms, um, do we? It's, safe to, it's okay to say. We don't have enough baptisms. We don't have enough people saying, I want to follow Jesus. But you can begin that today, that this story that you're a part of, whether you know it or not, is moving towards what God has done for you, for me, for everyone, no matter what you have done. That he loves you that much, that he would care for you, and even though sin was in the world, he created a way for that to all be wiped out, to be cleansed, to be clean, and to be right before him. But you've gotta accept that free gift. You can't leave it on the table and say, hi, I see your free gift. I acknowledge the free gift. You have to accept it. You have to take him at his word. You have to agree to, I will follow you. And yes, there will be days where you think, man, I'm not following God very well. But in those days, God gives you an avenue to just acknowledge you're wrong, to repent and come back to him. And that's what we want for every one of you. So if you need to repent, if you need the prayers of the church, if you need anything this morning, would you come as we stand and sing?